podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. talking tennis i am in the cab on the way to the airport after just spending the weekend in winnipeg not toronto but talking about toronto the yeah what a tournament for yonic center big week i feel like that victory was good for tennis it was good to have yonic center get a big title like this i feel like he's you know keeping pace again with carlos alcaraz and Holger Runa uh, as those three super young guys. You know, the other two have won big titles, been really deep. And uh, Yannick, you know, this is a good testament to the work that he's been putting in, the changes that he's made. Darren Cahill on the bag, you know, one of the most legendary coaches in the game currently. Um, so, yeah, super impressive. Big win for him. You know, Toronto's not the, the field that... Didn't have the field that other tournaments might have, but... And he didn't have to beat Alcaraz or Djokovic in the final, for example. But, you know, that doesn't matter compared to winning. Getting that winning feeling. Getting that thousand points, you know. Um, that gives you confidence going into Cincinnati and then the U.S. Open. So, yeah, I think that this that win helps experience. I was talking to Canadian player Alexi Gallarneau yesterday. You know, he's been on the Challenger Tour, but he just won his first his first challenger and he was talking about the experience of losing a losing a challenger final before that and what you learn you know I think Yannick Sinner has learned a lot from the losses he's had um, in finals and now he's got over the lines and now he has that in his brain of what it feels like to win what just what what I did last time when I won how can I do that again the next time he's in that situation so I think that'll be yep this will be a big big result for him going forward and I'm excited to see what he can do at the US Open because yeah he's one of yeah now after winning that I think he's got to be in the top five or six contenders to win the title and you never know so yeah good tournament in okay talking tennis I am in the cab on the way to the airport after just spending the weekend in Winnipeg not Toronto but talking about Toronto the yeah what a tournament for Yonic Center big week I feel like that victory was good for tennis it was good to have Yonic Center get a big title like this 
feel like he's you know keeping pace again with Carlos Alcaraz and Holger Runa uh, as those three super young guys. You know, the other two have won big titles, been really deep. And uh, Yannick, you know, this is a good testament to the work that he's been putting in, the changes that he's made. Darren Cahill on the bag, you know, one of the most legendary coaches in the game currently. Um, so, yeah, super impressive. Big win for him. You know, Toronto's not the, the field that – didn't have the field that other tournaments might have. But – and he didn't have to beat Alcaraz or Djokovic in the final, for example. But, you know, that doesn't matter compared to winning, getting that winning feeling, getting that 1,000 points, you know. Um, that gives you confidence going to Cincinnati and then the U.S. Open. So, yeah, I think that this – that win – helps experience. I was talking to Canadian player Alexi Gallarneau yesterday, you know, who's been on the Challenger Tour, but he just won his first his first Challenger. And he was talking about the experience of losing a losing a Challenger final before that and what you learn. You know, I think Yannick Sinner has learned a lot from the losses he's had um, in finals and now he's got over the lines and now he has that in his brain of what it feels like to win what just what what I did last time when I won, how can I do that again the next time he's in that situation? So I think that'll be, yeah, this will be a big, big result for him going forward. And I'm excited to see what he can do at the US Open because, yeah, he's one of, yeah, now after winning that, I think he's got to be in the top five or six contenders to win the title. And you never know. So, yeah, good tournament in Toronto. I just saw that it was um, record ticket sales for Toronto for the ATP event which is awesome Canadian tennis is booming people are you know in other countries tennis is like the third or fourth biggest sport in Canada it's probably like the fifth or sixth or seventh so it's been really good to see you know the added interest across our country I'm here in Winnipeg uh, or was here in Winnipeg I'm just like I said in in the cab to the airport now Um, and there's great you know interest here for the challenger we got Jack Draper here we got David Goffin, it's a crazy lineup uh, in the Prairies. Anyways, that's my take on Yannick Center winning Toronto 2023. Ready? Play. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Uh, we've just been hearing the thoughts of Stephen Broughton from The Slice. And for the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to hear the, so- the thoughts of Vivek Jacob. Uh, Vivek, how are you doing? It's been a while. I'm doing great. It was nice to have some tennis in Toronto and Montreal as much as uh, the rain tried to prevent that. But mm. uh, <laughs> in the end, we got to the end of the tournament. So um, I thought it was some great tennis, uh, a lot of upsets and a lot of dramatic action. Uh, and uh, yeah, looking forward to recapping it with you. Vivek, where exactly are you based in Canada? Uh, I'm in Toronto, so. Oh, you're actually in Toronto. Okay, cool. So, I mean, as a city and to some extent as a country, obviously with Toronto and Montreal sort of uh, flipping each year between the WTA, is there a is there a big vibe in the city the weeks before, and is there a bit of a cloud certainly for tennis fans today? It, there's definitely excitement uh, after Wimbledon, and you know you kind of look forward to that being the next big event, and where you know as a preview uh, to the U.S. Open, uh, depending on who shows up. Obviously, uh, on the men's side, we miss 
uh, Novak Djokovic on the women's side, we missed Anz Jabor. Uh, but uh, I think uh, there's a lot of hype that, that comes uh, with this event. And I think the participation has always been great over the years, you know, getting uh, players like Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal. And, you know, one of my fondest memories is uh, watching uh, Rafa Nadal the year he became number one for the first time. Okay. Uh, and that was uh, en route to winning the Canadian Masters. So uh, I think there's a lot of fond memories to be had in coming here. I'm sure people would have watched Carlos Alcaraz for the first time and thought, hey, uh, you know, maybe not quite at the level he was at Wimbledon, but um, pretty cool to see anyway, because, you know, uh, when he's on the court, you're guaranteed to see um, some live wire action. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, Nadal is someone who's obviously had a lot of success uh, in Canada. Let's uh, bring it to the present day and somebody who had some success this week. What did you make of Yannick Sinner's run and then also his win in the final? I, I was thrilled to see it. Uh, I think uh, he should absolutely be in that conversation of being the biggest challenger to Carlos Alcaraz for the next decade plus. Obviously, Djokovic is still around in the present day. But I think when you look at the long term, a sinner should absolutely be the biggest candidate to challenge and push uh, Alcaraz. I, I think he's got a tremendous game. I love his backhand. Um, and I think what really stood out to me over the course of this tournament, you know, it, as Stephen was saying, yeah, he didn't play uh, Carlos Alcaraz or Novak Djokovic, but there's a steeliness to him. And I thought, um, you know, playing uh, Alex Dimonar in the final and, you know, breaking ahead, then getting broken back, then breaking ahead, getting broken back. I thought um, he kind of maintained his composure through that. I thought against Gail Monfils, uh, that was a really tense match and uh, he needed to show some toughness in that. And so uh, I think he's shown improvement in that regard. And I think it might be a strange thing to say, but seeing the way his semifinal went down against Djokovic at Wimbledon and then seeing the way the final played out would have made him realize some things because I think he would have earned Djokovic's respect the year before by winning the first two sets and then going on to lose. And I think he, so I think in this year's Wimbledon, he got the best of Djokovic right out the gate. Uh, and and you have to earn that <laughs> that level of respect from Novak. And so uh, I think to push Novak at his best, you know, I think that tiebreak could have gone either way. He will he will know, you know, he kind of gifted that double fault and things kind of turned from there in that tiebreak. Mm -hmm. um, but I think all those little things have added up to him saying, yeah, I absolutely can be in this conversation. I think that's interesting. You you highlight that that semifinal because I think. For neutral observers, I think it was quite a bruising defeat in a way for, for Yannick. Not, we all appreciate the fact that he's still pretty young, um, but we sort of, and we also appreciate that you're playing arguably the best player of all time in the Southern Net, but there were chances there, as you say, in that, in that third set, but even right at the beginning of the match, one or two break points. And of course, against Novak, you really have to take them as Hubi Hercatch also found to his cost. And to some extent, Alcaraz didn't in, in the final. Um, but I also think right now we, we're sort of in the best moment 
for Yannick Sinner of the season. I think of the three surfaces, it's hard. And also, generally, he tends to perform slightly better in New York, at least to the to the eye. Maybe he's had some pretty good results in Australia, certainly at least one, maybe two quarterfinals there. But, you know, we all remember that epic encounter last year against a venture winner, which I think has also aged quite well, bearing in mind the 12 months that Carlos has had since. Um, you know... He... And you would argue that Sinner probably should have won that match. Right. He had match points and was probably the better player for at least half of it. We all know the, the spectacular things that Carlos can produce. But on that occasion, despite the fact he didn't win the match, it was 50-50, you know, just some unbelievable stuff from, from Yannick's two. And and as, as Stephen mentioned in the build-up as well, um, I think, you know, having now won a big title... I think that will help him because if he, I think it would have been a pretty, even though maybe De Menor is slightly lower down the the pecking order on the ATP rankings and also a couple of years older. And normally we sort of focus a bit more on a loss for them if they've had a, a few like this. But I think Yannick needed that yesterday. If there'd been another loss, having been probably the favourite before, a bit like he was against her catch a couple of years ago, I think that would have been bad. Do you do you see what I'm saying? I agree 100%, especially when you factor in that coming into this final, he was already 4-0 and against Dimonaro, right? Yeah. So yeah. you have the better of the matchup. Everything is playing in your favor. And that's why I thought, you know, obviously we wanted to see a Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner semifinal. That would have been uh, the dream matchup. But yeah. I thought mentally it was going to put him in an interesting state because you look at the four semifinalists and you're saying, okay, this is Yannick Sinner's tournament to lose now. And so what's your approach now when you've got the sort of target on your back and everyone is expecting you to come away with this tournament? And uh, I thought the way he executed against Tommy Paul uh, and closed it out uh, against uh, Alex Dimonauer, that's what you want to see. It's like, hey, the expectations are set. You're supposed to deliver now. And you did. Uh, and so I'm very excited for him. Uh, and... I, I like the way the narratives are sort of shaping up on the men's side here because, you know, with Alcaraz, there was obviously the Djokovic question uh, after the French Open. And mm. you were saying, oh, okay, who's who, Djokovic kind of has made a statement here on who the best player in the world is. Mm -hmm. um, and so for Alcaraz to take him down at Wimbledon of all places, uh, it really built has built that matchup up going forward. And, and now... You know, we're waiting to see Sinner take that big step and possibly win a slam. And winning an event like this makes you believe that, hey, it, it could come as soon as this U.S. Open. And Yannick, I think, is one of, of three players. One is kind of obvious, one lesser, and I'll, I'll come to the lesser in a second. Yannick is one of three players who can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Carlos, who can beat Carlos at his best on, you know, on various different days in various different continents. And I think none more so than on a hard court and in North America, um, as he proved in, in Miami when he beat him. Oh, no, sorry. In, yeah, it was Miami this year where he beat Miami, him. And then, yeah. of course, obviously going toe-to-toe -to -toe with him in that quarterfinal last year. And I think he's beaten him on clay as well in Europe. So he is somebody, of course, Novak being the obvious one. The less obvious one is Tommy Paul, <laughs> who I believe uh, for the top of my head has a 2-0 record. He certainly beat him a year ago anyway. Tommy Paul is somebody, by the way, who causes Rafa a bit of trouble, as we saw in Paris-Bercy last year. So he is kind of a fly in the ointment for a couple of, I think, Carlos, if he isn't a legend yet, will go on to be a legend of the sport. 
Um, what did you make of? We'll, we'll come to Dimonor as well, and definitely get you know his tournament in a second. But as we're on Tommy Paul, I think we also have to talk about Alcaraz. What did you make of Alcaraz's departure from the tournament and Tommy Paul's run? Yeah, so it's interesting you th- tie those three together: Djokovic, Paul, and Sinner. I, I don't think it's a coincidence as far as the matchup is concerned that all three can hit that running, stomping two-handed backhand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is something that gives Alcaraz a, a bit of a problem. Um, yeah. And so uh, looking at Paul's tournament, excellent tournament, the matchup specifically against Alcaraz. Um, I, I don't think Tommy Paul is someone who's ever short on belief. I think that's something I really enjoy when watching him play. And uh, I think that his movement was excellent against Alcaraz. I mean, obviously we know Alcaraz loves to go to the drop shot and it seemed like Tommy Paul was on it, had a read on it every single time and got to it. No problem. Uh, Then you would argue that Alcaraz has established that he has the best forehand in the game now, but specifically in this matchup, in that match, Tommy Paul's forehand was probably executing at a higher level. Uh, And then you make enough of those, uh, backhand shots as well and Alcaraz again not at his best in this tournament but hey that that's why you play the games that's why you play every week and you see what can happen uh and he brought out some frustration in Alcaraz we saw him throw a racket we saw him yell at uh his box a little bit and uh I think Tommy Paul can do that to you because you know he's he's someone in terms of his jump this year and over the past um, six to eight months. Mm-hmm. I think what's really impressive is he's not going to be someone who beats himself. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Alcaraz then, is this, is this sort of cause for concern or you think Cincinnati and New York will, you know, we'll see a completely different Carlos in terms of results? Yeah, you know, he, he learned so quick. <laughs> and, you know, when you look at uh, even the loss last year to Tommy Paul, he came away from that loss and said, Hey, this is something I need to learn from as far as the pressure that's coming now with the expectations and the hype. And now I think there was a different level of expectations and hype put on him after winning Wimbledon. And so that's another thing that I think he needs to adapt to and adjust to. And I think he will. Uh, And it's just a question of how quickly he does it because to go from where he was in losing that French open semifinal to Djokovic, and figuring things out in that matchup almost in real time uh, in the Wimbledon final and figuring out that, hey, I think I can actually out-defend you. And, then you know, it probably went for a bit too much in that first set. And then the second set, you could see him sort of start to just absorb a bit more from Novak and say, hey, I'm just going to hang in the points a bit more. Maybe my shots aren't uh, in full flow right now. And that was really what started to turn it around. And so I think his ability to learn so quickly uh, is the most special thing about him. Novak compared that 
ability to adapt when he was talking about having elements of Roger, Rafa, and himself. And that that was the attribute that he gave from himself, the ability to adapt. And so I think he's going to take this loss uh, in stride. Uh, and he'll be ready for Cincy. He'll be ready for the U.S. Open. Is um, is this the order of favorites right now for the U.S. Open? Is it? Is it? Um, I mean, I think some people might put Novak first. Some people might put Carlos. I think there's a, an argument for both. Personally, right now, I would probably put Djokovic. As, sorry, I'd put um, Carlos just ahead of, of, of Novak. That's how close and it then, is. <laughs> say again? That's how close it is. You can flip up anyway. Yeah, you could. You can flip a coin. And listen, you can make a case for both. I think it would be difficult to make a case for either to be third on the list, if you like. And my third would be Medvedev and probably Sinner right now. Does that make sense? I think that does make sense. That sounds about right. You have to give the respect to Medvedev and everything he's accomplished on hard courts throughout his career. Uh, and, and Sinner by winning Toronto. Um, and obviously, we've seen what he can do on a hard court as well. Um, you know, we say there's a coin flip between Novak and uh, Alcaraz for one and two. There might be a coin flip now between Medvedev and Sinner for three and four. Mm. Uh, and I think it might be that close between those two. That, that would be a fantastic matchup to watch. Uh, and I think uh, going back to Novak and Carlos, I think what's interesting now for me is with Wimbledon, that was the first slam that we saw Novak play as the front runner in the slam count. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think the Carlos win has almost given, as far as a narrative is concerned, something to chase again. Yeah. Uh, and and we know how good he is at chasing. So uh, I think he's going to be ready to go for the U.S. Open. I, am, I, I really hope we get the Alcaraz-Djokovic uh, rematch because Djokovic is so good tactically. Uh, and strategically that I think he is going to have a plan ready, a different plan ready. Um, and I, I, I think for me personally, I would put Djokovic one and Alcaraz two, okay. because I think Novak is going to be very, very motivated um, to win this one. I think it's an interesting narrative over the next couple of years as, I mean, there aren't many left, for him to break in terms of records, Novak, of course, there's the Wimbledon Roger record, but, um, you know, he's won each slam at least three times. Now he's now in the lead in the, in the overall slam race. And we know how he cleans up at the masters, um, and weeks at number one as well. So I, I, I'm with you a little bit in that. I think I was quite intrigued to see how the next few tournaments would go for him in terms of now having, as I say, pretty much achieved all there is to achieve in the sport. I think you're right. I think he'll try and use the, the Carlos thing to give him another another burst. If he was to go on and win the US Open, I, I don't know. I mean, listen, he may do. He may prove me wrong. But what I have seen a couple of times in Novak's career is when there isn't a lot left to achieve, he does kind of, he's not, he's not quite, he's very different. They're all different. Him, Roger and Rafa are very different. But he's not quite the same as Rafa who plays each point as if, if it's his last, you know, and sometimes to the detriment of Nadal. He is someone who will, check out for a season even where he's already secured number one. I remember, I think two or three years ago when he just needed to turn up at a tournament in Austria, I believe, and, and get a couple of wins there. And then it was like, okay, he checked out. Um, but uh, yeah, let's see if he can come back with renewed vigor. He's obviously not always had a lot of success in New York, which again 
may uh, give him added motivation. I say not had a lot of success there. He's won it three times. I think most people would be just happy to win it once. And Daniel Medvedev is that person who's won it once. Medvedev, where are we at right him right now compared to where we were, say, for example, a few months ago, or particularly 12 months ago, and his run as well in Toronto? Yeah, you know, I don't think we've really acknowledged or talked about just how much of a shock defeat that was to Dimonar. I think, uh, mm. especially when the way he jumped out to that lead in the first set was a five, one, five, two. Um, and to lose from there was extremely surprising. And you could, and this is the one thing with Medvedev, right? I think there's times where a problem is posed to him and he can't seem to find a solution right away mm -hmm. that then you see, you start to see the unraveling a little bit. And I think, you know, Demon Hour, his defense, getting to every ball, his speed, I think that was something that just sort of irked Medvedev as the match went on. Um, and uh, I think, again, going back to, you know, thinking about Wimbledon and what his best pathway forward, at some point, someone has to sit him down and get him to be just that bit more aggressive. Um, and, and I think you know, he's obviously going to have the success on the hard court uh, and he's proven on this surface, but I think there is a higher ceiling to him when, when I watch his overall play. And I think if he can just crank it up a little bit in terms of the aggression, uh, I think there is a higher ceiling to be had. I can't remember which match it was last week, but I think he won it on a, on a match point return. And I thought to myself, there's been a lot of speculation about him mixing up his return position. But I think perhaps a little bit about what you're touching on there. Maybe it's not so much the position because I think the opposite end in terms of position on the court, Caroline Garcia is in exactly the same conundrum. She said to me earlier on this year, she said she doesn't know really how to return in any other way. And I, I think teaching a dog new tricks with Daniel Medvedev, particularly at his, his age, which in tennis terms is he's at least halfway through his career, um, I, I think there's not much you can do now. He's not going to be someone who's standing on the baseline or being aggressive in that sense, like a Holger Rune as well on the return. But he can just do different things on the return to make Carlos, for example, in particular, think about attacking the net or, or Novak as well, uh, who's done that against uh, Daniel as well before. So I think that might be the way around this little thing. It might not cure the problem, but it might offer a solution, albeit temporarily on certain points. Um, listen, I, I know we mentioned Demonor earlier, but we have sort of skated past him, but now we can bring it back with him obviously knocking uh, Medvedev out. Um, he beat Cam Norrie as well as Taylor Fritz and David Fakina. So there's some pretty good wins in there that, you know, I would think of players such as Zverev, who didn't have a top 10 win, I think, at Slams for such a long time. And I, I think of other players as well who barely had top 10 wins. And I'm not quite sure where Kasper Ruud's record is right now, but I'm sure, put it like this, you know, you know what I'm getting at this this run to the final is quite impressive. Now, I know the name Gabriel Diallo probably stands out a bit there, but of course he beat Dan Evans in the first round. Um, give us a word on, on Dimonor and the week that he had. Yeah, I mean, first off, I, his confidence has got to be sky high because when you look at his recent play, he, he's got, uh, you know, the finals uh, in Queens, right? He's got the finals... Uh, in Los Cabos, where he lost to mm -hmm. Sitsipas. Uh, and now he gets to the finals here. So I think 
um, from a confidence standpoint, he's got to be feeling really, really good. I, I think, again, when you get yourself deep in tournaments and you play the best players and you're regularly going up against the top five, you lose to Novak at the Australian Open. There's no shame in that. Um, I think you pick up bits and pieces in what works, what doesn't work at the very, very top level. Mm-hmm. And you take these incremental steps. Uh, and I think we're seeing that with Demon Hour. And we talk about ceiling with Medvedev. I think he is someone who is really actualizing his ceiling. Um, and, you know, maybe he doesn't win a slam, but I think we've seen enough now to believe that, you know, if things go right in a week, he can pull off a, a, a thousand win at some point. Sure. Uh, I think that's about where probably we'll end up with Diminor. Is he's someone that, you know, hopefully will pick up a big title or two, but probably a run to a slam win might well elude him, at least the level that he's shown us so far. He may well go and surprise us in a second half of a career where you've had players to some extent, Medvedev, but of course someone like Dominic Team as well, who've who've, who've got better in the, as their 20s have gone on. Um Listen, I think we'll come to the Canadian players next. Uh, I mean, we had Dial. I mean, actually a mix. Is it not a mixed bag? I, I heard you chuckle there. And I, I, you probably, I mean, I'm thinking about Reinich, Tick, uh, yeah. Diallo, who we just had on the sh- on, on the screen there as well. Tick, for sure. I mean, Felix is, is clearly a cross. Um, Shapovalov, unfortunately, had to pull out injured. I might be missing one or two Canadians, but let's begin with Ryanich, I think. Um, were you surprised by his week? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I was surprised. Uh, you don't, when you look at the matchup on paper against Francis Tiafo, uh, you're thinking that Tiafo should absolutely have that. Uh, and I think for Ryanich to be away as long as he has and to come back and show uh, the level that he's shown, obviously his serve is just so, so difficult. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the top players have, have talked about how difficult it is to read. Um, and so I think that, that was huge for him. And, you know, he, he was able to do enough with, with uh, you know, his net play, uh, enough with the ground strokes to get it, into the third. And I think just playing a third match in four days was going to be too much to ask. You, you think of the layoff, you, you think about where his match fitness is at a third match in four days. I mean, I was thinking it might've even affected him in the second match, right. Having just played a, yeah. a, a three setter against Francis Tiafo. So uh, even to get that second round win uh, was a big deal. Uh, I thought. Yeah. And so huge moment to beat Francis Tiafo in that atmosphere um, and not, not let the net post <laughs> incident uh, bother him uh, in the end. Uh, but I think for sure Milos Raonic is a tick. Uh, and I can tell you, you know, if he's good to go for the U.S. Open, that first round matchup, that's probably not a guy you want in the first round. No, <laughs> no. If he's serving well, as you said, like he did against Tiafo and, and actually also in his next match too, what I I, I think was was encouraging or, or was, a, was something for me palpable was was he was just going for on his second serve as well. I mean, he picked up a few double faults as well, but there's a few second second yeah. serve aces. And perhaps it's just a, a thought that, you know, keeping these points as short as he possibly can. But I didn't see that win against Tiafo coming, particularly at the end of the first set when when you mentioned that last point where 
Tiafo wins it, uh, despite the fact that when we're watching it initially, we're seeing him run into the net. And those of us pretty eagle-eyed uh, uh, would suggest that we all saw that it hadn't dropped, hadn't bounced twice. In other words, the ball would be dead before he touched the net. But we weren't still eagle-eyed as much as Fergus Murphy was, or at least retrospectively, to notice that, of course, he touched a part of the net, which is the doubles part of the net, and therefore doesn't count in a singles match. Uh, have you got anything else to add to that little tale? It, it's very rare that we give uh, credit to umpires. And so yeah. I think we have to on this occasion. I thought the way he handled it as well when Raonic and Tiafo uh, approached him and kind of said, hey, hang on. I, I know the rule here. Let me just explain mm. it and, and you'll see where I'm coming from. Uh, Raonic wasn't having it either way, but no. uh, I think he handled it uh, superbly. And that's I've gone for a want. bit of a Raonic look tonight today, by the way. I don't know if you... Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, hadn't, well I was going to say, if you hadn't noticed, but the truth is I hadn't even given it a second thought until I... But this is this is Raonic, like the old Raonic, not the yeah. two that we're seeing now. Yeah, we, we can call it a half Milos and a half uh, Pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought uh, Fergus Murphy handled that moment extremely well. Um, to be right on it with the rule, um, you know, that's something that, you know, you, you might see someone forget or fail to apply in that situation. And so it was great that he was right on it. Uh, and yeah, again, I think that there's absolutely nothing bad that you could say about Milos Raonic uh, in this Toronto run. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, I see that he's pulled out of Cincinnati, but as you say, if, if he's a first run, I, I think... Uh, there's a. I've spoken to one or two guys lower lower down the rankings, and um, there's there is a train of thought. If you're outside the top 100, for example, you know if you if you're in your mid to late 20s and you've got a you you know you're desperate to get in that top 100 and get automatic places at, at slams, that in a way you don't want to be playing one of the big guys in the first round. You you want to get them a bit later on. But on the flip side, um. This is probably the moment when you might catch them cold. You might get a set off them. And if you get the first set, with the exception of perhaps Novak, you know, who knows what can happen from there. Um, I certainly think that's certainly the case against Rafa, albeit that obviously we're not going to see Rafa for a few more months at the very least. Um, but yeah, if Ryanich is up against, well, let's say he's up against Novak, he can win a set. And if you've won a set and off you go. And I think, yeah, you wouldn't want to face him in the first round if he's just hot as he was for certainly two or three matches here in in Canada um any words on Diallo because really I don't know a lot about him other than the fact that I know he beat Dan Evans at a challenge early this year I saw the match mm-hmm. and I think from Dan Evans's side of the net there may have been a bit of a hangover from Washington uh there was one anecdote that I would draw from that match which I thought was quite amusing and I sensed it there was one or two points Towards the end of the match, I think Dan was a breakdown in the second set, so staring down the bowel. And Dan would go and win a point 30-15. It's not a big point. You know, 30-30 all to 30-40 or break back and you're back on serve or a big moment in a tie. But Dan Evans was celebrating these points, and I think he was trying to apply some experience pressure on the younger shoulders on the other side of the net where he's going, I'm still in this, you know, rather than... I don't think he would have celebrated those points if he was setting a breakdown to Novak, put it that way. Um, (laughs) I I don't just mean in terms of belief. I think he was just trying to show the other side of the net, but hats off to Diallo. Straight sets win over Dan Evans. Um, Do you know much about him, by the way? Um, 
I first started to notice when he became part of the Davis Cup team uh, okay. last year. Uh, and so I think I had just learned a little bit about him. I haven't hadn't watched him much. Uh, and obviously, you know, being six seven, he's got the big serve. And I think uh, what's impressive is his movement, right? I think at that size, to move as well as he does is where you start to think, okay, you know, maybe this can be something. Um, I, I think uh, I like that he's de- decided to enter, um, you know, these ATP Tour events this year. And you know, obviously, he's uh, this was his first tour level win. And he's had a few losses before that. But I think you accelerate your growth a little bit uh, if you can take these lessons in the right way. Uh, and I think he has a good head on his shoulder. He's talked about, you know, what the losses have done for him in terms mm-hmm. of helping, helping him progress and learn. Uh, and so I'm encouraged by that. And and yeah, I think uh, in terms of the physical stature, the serve is, is uh, going to, you know, hold pretty well for him. Uh, and then it's just a question of putting together the other elements and uh, maybe, you know, him watching Milos Raonic <laughs> can give him a bit of inspiration in terms of what he could uh, maybe be. But, you know, I'm not going to set the expectations that high. What Raonic has accomplished in his career is incredible to be, you know, a top five player to make a Wimbledon final. Uh, those are very, very lofty goals. And uh, if Diallo comes anywhere close to that, I'm sure he'll be thrilled. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now we'll come to uh, a less positive element right now to Canadian tennis. I remember almost exactly a year ago to the day, Vivek, I think the first show we did together, I did a sort of, you know, a next big three sort of uh, show on could, I think it was, I certainly had Felix and obviously I had Carlos. And I think that the third player I chose was, was, was Yannick Sinner. You know, are these the, the, the three that are, I was talking about skipping a generation because, you know, City Pass has certainly had an inconsistent couple of years. At that point, Medvedev was certainly on a downer, and we all know what's happened to to Dominic Team and, and also Zverev. Um, but Felix is nine months, probably I should say, since that indoor season has sort of gradually gone down. I think probably a bit off the radar to some extent. He gets a pass, I think, for the clay court season largely, um, but. Yeah, and he had one or two injuries as well. So I think, again, people that were following him would say, well, just give him another few matches. But I think he's on a losing streak of four or five at the moment. And each one seems to get worse. The one he had in Washington, Watanuki, I I think I suggested it was a new low, although one or two people I knew disagreed with me, and that's fine, giving credit to his opponent. But I think this defeat on on home turf on his birthday, no less, um, sharing a birthday with, with... uh, Roger Federer, I believe, as well, uh, you know, did represent a new low, despite how well I thought Purcell played. 100%. Uh, I think what adds to the disappointment of everything that we've seen this year is the way he closed out last year, right? And I think to win three titles in a row, to lead Canada to its first ever Davis Cup title, I think you, you, you're thinking he's taking that confidence into this year. Uh, and you, you think about even uh, the five-set French Open loss to Rafa Nadal, the five-set uh, Australian Open loss to Daniil Medvedev. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, you know, there's a breakthrough moment coming. Yeah. Uh, and you, you thought winning those three ATP titles were like, okay, the, getting over the hump here, get some confidence, all of that. 
and it just hasn't happened for him this year. I know he had food poisoning before that uh, matchup against Fabio Fognini at the French, but okay. um, I do think that overall it's just been really, really disappointing for a player who has, you know, up to this point, up to 2023, made those incremental gains year after year. And that's why we've put him in that category, right, of being the next big three. And absolutely, mm -hmm. I, I would have been right with you in saying that it should have been Felix, Yannick, uh, and Alcaraz. Mm -hmm. uh, and now you would absolutely put Hogaruna ahead of it, yes, right? Yes, definitely. And um, you would put those three uh, as the new big three. Definitely, yeah. Um, I think the thing with Felix that, that at least can give you you hope, though, is that I think the ceiling is still there. I mean, actually, ceilings rarely, rarely go the 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 two thing uh, the two things you have is a floor and, and obviously a ceiling and i think yannick sinners is complimented rightly so on his floor uh if you like in terms of floor rather than flaw in that, that <laughs> he's got a high floor but I, I i i think with somebody like felix that is somewhere that that you can improve and it's actually probably a little bit easier to improve than a ceiling you know somebody uh, who's arguably, well, on the women's side, somebody like Sharapova, who I think probably exceeded, she was a very talented player, but I think she was a a, a worker and, and, and probably exceeded her uh, talent level, if you like, that's not criticising, but you know what I mean, I just think that that there is something to work out with, with Felix, and this could just be a spell, I mean, there's been players that have gone on to win multiple Grand Slams that have had probably far worse runs of form than this, but with each defeat, more questions get asked, he's got age on his side, um, and he does seem to be in a bit of a rut. Who knows? It, a few weeks from now, he could be reaching the, the you know the latter stages in New York, and 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 things are much better. I think there is a there is a, probably another point though to this, which is I don't really know if if the solutions seem to be there at the moment. If 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 um you know if he can, I I, I remember speaking to Stefanos Tsitsipas earlier this year after a defeat to Carlos Alcaraz in Barcelona, and I think what what was most chilling for him about that particular loss was he didn't know how to answer the questions that we were posing in the media, but even in, I'm sure he was posing himself, didn't really know how to come up with a solution. And I think when you're in that situation, it is quite concerning because I think if you're a top, top player with a top, top mentality in your computer is that you can be world number one. And if you think that that's going to be the case or can be the case, you know, you should be able to beat anyone on any given day. And I think the chilling fact that was starting to come to roost with Pass on that occasion against Carlos is there there may never be a solution for him against Carlos. And um, and if Felix gets into this sort of... It's a slightly different scenario, but I just wonder if, if he knows what the issue is right now. Maybe he does. Maybe he can just put it down to sort of lack of match practice, you know, as you highlighted food poisoning in Paris, or I think he's had one or two wrist injuries this year. But um, I'm not sure if he quite knows what the, the exact issue is right now. I, I would say that the one thing that does concern me about his ceiling is the fact that to this point, I, I don't think he's tactically at a level that he needs to be and i and i think you've hit the nail on the head uh i i haven't seen that ability to think his way through matches and think his way through problems that are being presented to him and it, it's almost as if he goes in this is plan a well plan a is not working so i've got nothing uh, and i think that's that that's what's so thrilling about carlos alcaraz right he 
just a problem is posed and he's like, I've got a different solution. My game has so many different options uh, that we're just going to go to something else here and, and we'll see how that goes. And I think with Felix, that's a leap that he needs to make uh, to become a, a Grand Slam champion one day. And I think he's got to go back to the drawing board in terms of that regard, I feel, because it's one thing to be shocked in the first round, whatever it is. Uh, it's another to have, you know, issues presented in the first round and just have no alternate to go to. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's what concerns me. A shout out for Gail Monfils, who's sort of in a in a way joining the the comeback club uh, on both sides of the tour. Uh, you know, we mentioned Vianich earlier, but he had played some electric tennis last week. Uh, Eubanks' victory spring into mind, but I mean the win over Sitsipas arguably even more impressive. Um, are there any other stories in in Canada you'd like to touch on? Because I do just want to get your thoughts very quickly on Cincinnati before we wrap. Uh, did did we want to touch on the women at all? Uh, between no, no, sorry, we're just doing. Yeah. Vivek, this is this is. Oh my goodness me! If we were doing the women, we'd be here for another hour. <laughs> no, we, we, we have two two separate shows, Vivek. So don't worry, we give the women. No, 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 I, I just mentioned the women's show earlier on today. <laughs> but are there any other stories on the men's side? Yeah, I, you know, I think Felix. We're going to touch on Cincinnati, but uh, you know, he's got a tough first round match up there. He's going up against Matteo Berrettini. Yeah, uh, so it doesn't get in about half an hour, I think. Yeah, uh, so it doesn't get any easier. Uh, and and so I think the key um, for him, for Shapovalov, uh, is just, you know, being brutally honest with themselves. Uh, and I think if they're able to do that and be constructive about it, uh, I think there are solutions to be had. I, I don't think this year should be uh, something that takes away um, from what Felix could be uh, at his peak uh and i think he's got to realize that but i think he's also you know got to have some urgency now um in the sense that you know you're you've just turned 23 uh, and so this is the age when you know you you've really got to get going in terms of uh do i want to be a five-time champ do i want to you know <laughs> that window starts to close really quickly once you get to 27, 28. And so I think Indeed. this is the age where things really have to start happening. For those of you curious about the women's side uh, in Canada, uh, we did a show earlier on, but you can uh, find that in the, in the uh, episodes on YouTube. I think it was done a couple of hours ago with uh, Anastasia and uh, James. Uh, listen, let's look therefore towards Cincinnati. You mentioned uh, Berrettini and, and Felix who, uh, rain permitting should be getting underway shortly, but uh, one or two people in the live chat telling me it's raining. I'm just sharing this. Of course, they played in the, the Wimbledon quarterfinal a couple of years ago. I mean, they were the pretenders to Novak's crown just two years ago uh, at SW19. And here they are meeting in, in the first round in Cincinnati. Um, Novak Djokovic, of course, returning uh, in North America. You touched on earlier how you probably see, see him as a slight favorite in uh in new york coming up in a couple of weeks give us some thoughts on him as he sort of returns to the tour yeah novak you know you mentioned uh, potentially you know coasting through a little bit i think he will look at this event as something to just get his a few matches in i don't think he'll be too concerned about winning it mm -hmm. uh, and you know we saw we saw the quote you know what was it in in rome 
when he lost and people were asking him about his confidence going into the French Open and if he believed he could win and he just gave a plain and simple yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is going to play out very much the same way if he gets a couple matches in. I think that's part of why he's entered the doubles as well. Um, and I think he'll oh, he's entered get... the doubles in Cincinnati, has he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I believe that. he's playing with uh, Kacic. Okay. Uh, and I think it's just a question of getting those couple matches in and feeling good. And then once he, he gets that out of the way, um, I don't think he'll be looking to expend too much energy uh, before the U.S. Open. Yeah, all makes sense. I, I, I see things very similarly in that I think he'll, you know, of course, if he gets to the semis or the final, he'll want to win. But I don't think he'll be too concerned. He may be trying certain things out and in a way... Uh, you know, getting three or four matches in, whether you, you win or, or lose the, the third or the fourth one is the most important thing. And then whatever happens, he'll have a week off anyway before New York. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with with Carlos. Um, you know, perhaps another quarterfinal defeat. There won't be alarm bells ringing or anything like that, but it will just make maybe one or two of his opponents have a bit more belief. I'm sure it when Tommy Paul plays him again, he'll, he won't be short of belief, but um, that Tommy Paul defeat and then followed by, let's say, another early-ish exit in, in Cincinnati might give his opponents a bit more uh, food for thought. And and so I think that will be interesting. Are there any other narratives in Cincinnati? Borna Chorich, of course, last year's champion. We talked about certain people's form. Well, he's going to be really dropping down the rankings if he doesn't produce uh, heroics in um, in Cincinnati. Yeah, that's, that's a great call. I think this is going to be a tough one uh, to see him uh, try and repeat. Uh, it's going to be a huge challenge. And I think, you know, as, as far as narratives are concerned, uh, I think the big one is just, you know, Carlos Alcaraz probably, you know, getting himself back in gear and getting set for the U.S. Open. Um, Francis Tiafo is probably looking for a bounce back. Uh, yeah. After what happened uh, against Raonich. And so he'll want to, you know, feel good about himself going into the U.S. Open. So he's probably someone I'm looking at and saying, hey, he's going to come out all guns blazing. Uh, and saying, hey, uh, let, let's get things right going into that. And yeah, I'll quickly add, uh, Djokovic is playing with Kacic uh, against Jamie Murray. Uh, oh, okay. And, uh, Michael Venus in the doubles. <laughs> nice, nice. So, um, yeah, I mean, listen, regarding regarding tennis and, and how it always is, 99% of the players going into each tournament, there is a question, if you like. Of, when you were mentioning Francis Tiafo, I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's true. You know, he'll have a few things that he wants to get answered. But, you know, with the exception of probably Novak and Carlos, week in, week out, there's there's other than and then the previous winner. So Yannick is obviously on a high right now. But uh, most other players, whether it be Medvedev, Tsitsipas, for, for sure, this time of year, there's a bit of scrutiny on him in terms of his record generally throughout this period. I, I know we got to the semis, I think, in Cincinnati a year ago. And we got to the final in Cincinnati, actually. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the defeat to, to Chorich was, was disappointing. So... There seems to be questions over over so many players. Any more thoughts uh, that I haven't touched upon that you're desperate to share regarding either Canada or Cincinnati? No, I think we've touched on a lot here. Um, you know, maybe maybe just quickly I'll throw in, you know, Hubie Hercotch looking pretty good. Uh, and I thought, you know, again, Alcaraz was not at his best here in Canada, but I, I thought that was a pretty tense match uh, that, that could have, gone a bit differently and so maybe he's another one that's looking at cincinnati and saying hey you know what, what's there to build here and carry into the u.s open 
Vivek, I'm glad you mentioned him and also that match. I didn't get to see it, unfortunately, because it was pretty late here in Europe, but uh, people were getting very excited and giddy about that match being match of the year. I didn't see it, but I know how close it was, and I know how so many matches involving Novak can be spectacular. But Hubi is certainly somebody who tends to like the, the North American elements to the tour, both earlier on in the season and later, so I think that's a good shout. Uh, Vivek, big thanks for joining us today, and um, I hope that our paths will cross again pretty soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, John. And uh, looking forward to the United game. Yes, exactly. We're four hours away from United's first match of the season. For those of you wondering which United, of course, Vivek and I share a passion for Manchester United. And they're getting their Premier League season underway this evening. So I will have to take a couple of hours off at the very least from tennis. Uh, maybe a bit longer if we uh, are celebrating a glorious win. Uh, if we lose, I'll be desperate to get back to the uh, the racket uh, and ball rather than just the ball sport. Gonna, Vivek, you've got. Oh, I think I saw I saw a few things behind you. I saw a World Cup. Something you uh, might appreciate. Go on. This is. Uh, I don't want it to fall apart on me here, but uh... we're used to things falling apart on this show. Don't worry. Oh my goodness me! Did don't fall. No, no fingers crossed that. Oh nice. Did you have to put that together, or was it yeah. just like this? I put, I put that all together. That's Old Trafford right there. <laughs> there you go. Nice bit of dexterity in there and uh, good work. I can see a World Cup as well. I can see you've got a trophy behind you. I've also got a trophy uh, on mine. This is a, a neighborhood of Bonn over 40s uh, tennis trophy that I earned a year ago. Not um, not for many people. It's not exactly the US Open, but it's, it's something. Like that. What's that trophy there? That this you're holding? one is actually from a cricket tournament. Okay. And then, and then I've got a few medals here. Um, one's tennis and one is cricket um, a couple others as well but uh you span even I mean I span sports reasonably but of course tennis and and soccer or football is my main passions but I know what's certainly going on in the in the cricket world but you're for those of you who are unaware make sure you give Vivek a, a follow on on Twitter because whether you follow basketball or, or, or soccer or tennis um, American football are you do you follow that too no. Uh, so my big four are basketball, soccer, tennis, cricket. There you go. Cricket as well, of course. Yeah. Um, so make if you're a fan of any of those four uh, sports in particular, give Vivek a follow on uh, social media. I've just added him on Instagram. I added is not the right one. Follow, followed on Instagram, I think. is the There you go. Followed. Yeah. <laughs> we followed each I, other. <laughs> I, I, you know, some people try and sound cool by not knowing really much about Instagram. I, I am still quite new to it in terms of I, I created an account with, with Talking Tennis. Um, but um, yeah, that's it. Follow anyway. Um, but there we go. So make sure you give Vivek a, a, across all the social medias uh, a follow, an ad, a like, or whatever the uh, correct verb is. Vivek, big thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, John. Anytime. And yeah, and I'm sure we'll be crossing paths again very, very soon. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network.